ransomware has been the number one threat that executives wanted to talk about and were suffering from, right? So a significant portion, I could literally observe in the classroom where in the beginning of the pandemic, maybe uh, one out of 50 would raise their hand. Yes, we have experienced this. Now it is half. Hello and welcome back to Management Cast, where some of the brightest minds in the business world explain the commercial concepts shaping industry today. This week, we have IMD Professor Oiku Ishik back in the hot seat. Oiku is the Professor of Digital Strategy and Cybersecurity at IMD, and that is what we're here to discuss today. Welcome, Oiku. Thank you. Hi, John. Now, the last time we spoke, we discussed how to bring cybersecurity into the workplace. And this week, we're discussing the pitfalls of that approach, right? The road bumps you have to avoid to have a successful digital strategy. So in the last episode, you mentioned that most companies outsource their cybersecurity needs. Can you tell us a bit more about what CEOs need to understand about the providers of that cybersecurity when they're looking for somebody to take on this, frankly, incredibly important task? Thank you, John. You know, this is a very interesting question that I'm also working towards understanding the answer to. These days, I'm conducting interviews with chief information security officers because one of the projects that I'm working on is actually has a focus on incident response teams. So I have not seen many business-savvy publications on this topic. That was my really motivation to see, well, now many organizations realizing that, you know, I don't have the talent, I don't have enough hardware and software investment as well as talent investment in my organization to be full-blown ready for any kind of attack. So why don't I either get a strategic partner or if I experience a breach, I call out for external help, right? So that's what I mean when I say external help in terms of incident support, which is exactly what you were saying actually, right? This external help when it comes to cybersecurity, clearly this is a strategic investment. So this is not just a transactional partnership. This is a strategic partnership. You're actually trusting a third party to come and take a look into your, let's say, pipes of your organization, of your building, and tell you what you need to change, what you need to improve, where you need to invest in that hard-earned money, right? One of the challenges is money is never enough when it comes to cybersecurity investment. So you need some sane guidance to say, where do I use my resources in. And what I hear from the CISOs that I have been talking to is that sometimes these partnerships are forged in the most random manner. So sometimes there's this one number you have and you're in the middle of a attack and you just need to reach out to someone. And the first one that is available to respond with you gets the golden ticket in a way, and then you continue building that relationship that I hear often turns out to be long-term partnership. So you start with one incident uh, response, and then you basically keep going back to the same people you have worked with before. This seems to me as the common approach out there today. But then, of course, I've also heard CISOs who say, well, we already had this digital transformation partnership with this one big organization that also has cybersecurity services. So we just expanded the coverage of our relationship with them. That also seems to be a rather common approach out there as well. 
And is that, as common as it might be, is that an approach you recommend? It feels a little bit reactive. Exactly. So I've been asking what is important in this relationship, right? How do you, when you work together with, a, with this organization, what are the roadblocks that may make things worse during the moment of dealing with, let's say, a ransomware attack? And clearly, they all talk about the importance of trust and the importance of cultural fit with this organization. So clearly this cultural fit element is a wild card. So if you're reaching out to the organization whose number you could find at that moment, right? I mean, there's this big question mark about it. But I did not hear about that clash as much as I did about the clash around trust. So there's this trust about senior leadership of the a vulnerable company, let's say, trusting the incoming consultants or the lack of trust among technical teams uh, between, let's say, the, the technical team, the IT or security team within the company versus the incoming support. Apparently, it's also pretty common to have multiple support teams on the ground. So there are technical digital forensics teams that may come in and from another, let's say, consultancy, another group of consultants may join just to manage the crisis aspect of things, the non-technical elements, let's say. So there could be more than two parties on within the war room, let's say. And there, the clear distribution of responsibilities and the clear chain of command must be established so that you don't waste time because of these things during that high-pressure environment. So in terms of your research, what are you finding is the best approach in terms of building these relationships? You know, you've talked there a little bit about people choosing to have a relationship with the first person who comes to them. Other people tend to go with uh, a provider of another one of their services. There's a whole host of different approaches, plus this kind of cultural fit aspect that you're looking at. Is there any particular approach you've uh, come across that works better than others? It seems to be what seems to be dominant that I hear among these conversations is that comfort in working together, so I guess that would include both trust and the cultural fit we discussed, overrides or is more important than capability manners. So they say, choose someone that you are comfortable working with, that you indeed trust that will help you, that has your best interest in mind. So it seems that the social aspect of managing a digital crisis together seems to be more important than the technical aspect of it. So, Oike, you speak there about cultural fit, about the relationship between teams all down and through the organization. You know, you've already mentioned before about how the weak link in a chain, you know, when a cybersecurity breach happens, can often be a person, human error, somebody clicking the wrong link, somebody giving out their password erroneously, etc., how do you convince people, and particularly people who are in management positions themselves, in senior positions themselves, to listen to outside consultants when perhaps they're in a position where they're not usually listening to outside people or where they feel like they don't want to be told what to do or how to change? Yeah, that's really interesting because the way I see the role of external consultants, especially relating to what we just discussed, right, is more about providing technical support in terms of managing the crisis and, and getting the organization back up to speed. I think the role of external support when it comes to, let's say, embedding a security culture in the organization could be useful 
for organizations that are just starting this journey, right? Because I think your question is right on point. They wouldn't listen, right? This has to be part of the organizational culture. This feeling of, okay, this is important for us. It's not just for the sake of protection, but cybersecurity is a business enabler, especially for organizations providing, of course, products and services digitally, but for any organization that depends on digital, which pretty much covers majority of the organizations today, right? So this is a value creator for us, and we are in this together as an organization, as a team. So that is the kind of the feeling I, I imply when I say cybersecurity culture. So that would include all the employees plus the top team, of course. So if the employees do not see this kind of behavior or importance attributed to this topic from the leadership, if they are not the flag carriers, then clearly they would not be convinced of the importance of this. So I do believe that this does start in the C-level, C-suite or the boardroom when it comes to making sure the importance of this topic is communicated throughout the organization. And similarly, you know, when it comes to convincing people, internal stakeholders about how much time how much effort you want to invest in this. Let's move to the money part of it. I mean, every company surely would like to have this kind of ironclad system in place, which stops all attackers, make sure your company's data is completely secure. However, we all understand that you know, this kind of thing costs a huge amount, in particular for companies that are more online than others. Where does the line stop? How much should companies be investing in this? Is that a question that even has validity, right? Does it, does it really just matter on a company by company basis? And then how do you convince people to allocate the kind of resources needed within a company, particularly at times like these where, you know, many companies are struggling to to make a profit? I think cybersecurity is a moving target. So in that sense, there is no fixed golden number that, you know, uh, we can say that if you invest in this, you'll be fine. There is no such thing, right? I mean, as the technology evolves, as our capabilities improve, the things that we can do over digital is increasing, but that also means it's kind of like the nature of the beast, the vulnerabilities and the threat surface is also expanding in that sense. And of course, we do have criminal actors ready to take action, ready to find the vulnerabilities in this intricate network of systems that we are already depending on. So from a numbers perspective, I often do hear a certain percentage of the IT budget Clearly, this may differ between, let's say, an organization that does everything via the cloud or even worse, offers cloud services, right? So it will depend on your dependence on on this. But how do I convince? How should a CISO convince the top management? I think there the direct impact of cybersecurity on customer experience could be very interesting to try and map direct impact on value generation, right? So what is the opportunity cost of not having this in place, right? Or what is the impact of positioning yourself as a trust building organization and even using it as part of your marketing initiative, saying that these are the investments we are making, this is how seriously we take, these are our initiatives around keeping your data private. This is our initiative around digital ethics and cybersecurity. So really using this as a part of your brand identity could even be be part of this, this justification because we do know that especially the new generation of consumers 
do pay a lot more attention to these kind of things than, let's say, the previous uh, generations. So we do know that more and more demand from the consumer side will, will be coming towards the organizations in the, in the years to come. And why do you think that is? Is that because of uh, a change in kind of IT literacy amongst people generally, amongst consumers? Is it uh, a question of the fact that, uh, well, people before just had very little? Yes, I think so. It's really, really awareness, the moment of awareness. We do still suffer from lack of awareness in majority groups of, let's say, consumers, digital consumers today. There are certain things that have become common knowledge, but there are also still other things that consumers are still not clear about, like this could be their IP address, this could be their web search history, right? Some some of this critical information that they are not aware that is available and can be accessed. So there's, we still have that awareness that we need to work on, but indeed, exactly like you said, the digital, digital literacy of today's, let's say, new consumers is so vastly different from, let's say, our previous generation, that this has become one of the criteria for a group of consumers. So I think there's a big difference there. I want to kind of jump onto the other side of the argument here. Is is there a kind of question in your mind about if this can go too far, if cybersecurity investment can go too far? Obviously, you're a big uh, proponent of, you know, bringing in digital strategies that are going to make sure your data is secure. But fundamentally, there must be a point at which the cost benefit, you know, the costs start to outweigh the benefit. Is there a, a turning point? Are there markers that CEOs can look out for, leaders can look out for when you might pass that point where the, the costs start to outweigh the benefits? That is interesting. And that's something I am not sure about, right? One thing that I remember as I'm listening to you is Chief Information Security Officer, CISO of a financial institution sharing with me that they have tried to overhaul their security infrastructure completely at one go, which failed kind of miserably. It was too big to handle. So that makes me think that maybe these kind of big bank projects that we've been talking about since time of ERPs, right? Maybe that is not the best approach. Maybe there is a quite a lot of consolidation in the securities industry as well. There are quite a few big vendors that are consolidating these capabilities. So we also see a, this constant shift in the industry as well. So these big projects that are bound to take long amounts of time may not be the easiest thing to handle. So probably that is something I would try to stay away from and try to work in a modular basis. And you also were asking about where is where is the line, right? I think the answer to that depends on your approach or your organization's approach to risk assessment. So what are my most critical, my, my crown jewels, my most critical digital assets, your hardware, your software, your data, right? But at the same time, what is going on out there in my industry in my geographical location, right, in my line of business, so threat intelligence, and and see, well, there is strategic threat intelligence that you can benefit from, there's operational strategic threat intelligence that you can benefit from to tell you or to help you with that prioritization of how to protect those critical assets, right? So I think when you prioritize where to dedicate your resources most to, that line will become a bit easier to reach and you will know what is the most important thing to protect and that's where your priority will be when it comes to investments. 
And you've spoken about their different industries and knowing your own digital landscape. You speak to CEOs, uh, people who are coming to learn from you every week about you know these kind of issues. Can you tell me? I mean, is there is there a number one or you know are there a couple of things that are always coming up in terms of the issues that they've had at their own companies, whether it be CEOs, whether it be COOs, are telling you about the issues that they, that have come up for them in trying to implement these digital strategies. All the time. There is really so many things that repeat themselves in every cohort, in every digital program, all the time. I think top three never changes. <laughs> so uh, at least this year, or let me say these past two years, ransomware has been the number one threat that executives wanted to talk about and were suffering from, right? So a significant portion, I could literally observe in the classroom where in the beginning of the pandemic, maybe uh, one out of 50 would raise their hand. Yes, we have experienced this. Now it is half, easily half of the cohort said in some shape or form, they have suffered from a ransomware attack. Maybe not themselves, but a direct vendor of theirs or supplier of theirs. So everybody has been impacted by this. So that's definitely number one. Number two, I would say is those phishing attacks still going on, even though organizations are doing these fake phishing tests, right? The drills in the organization. I, I think it's a great thing that I see that this is increasing significantly. Almost every organization now has the habit of doing these tests in the organization, but still many people for these attacks simply because they're also getting better, right? They're also getting much more professional. A few years ago, we were saying one of the telltale signs of a phishing email is lack of proper grammar, typos, and, you know, questionable English, etc. Now we know that AI is writing these phishing emails. And if a phishing text has been written by an artificial intelligence algorithm, the likelihood that it will convince let's say your employee, is significantly higher than a human writing a phishing tag. So this is super, super interesting as well, because this also shows how these other technologies are being used by attackers too. Uh, so these phishing, as tired as we are of hearing these things, seems that it's not going away yet. Okay, so you've got ransomware, you've got phishing. Is there a third that's always coming up that people are talking to you about? Let me think about it. The third... I would say, I would generalize a little bit, and I would say the misunderstanding slash miscommunication or lack of information about cloud security. Uh, So almost every organization, to a certain extent, is using cloud service providers, right? And it seems that some of the breaches that these organizations have experienced is because of a misconfigured cloud service account or setting, or they are harmed because their cloud service provider has been breached. Let me, let me, let me rephrase and let me generalize, not just cloud, but third party. Let me say it as a third party, right? This could be cloud service provider, but this could also be your supplier, your vendor, any other organization that you have at least one network in common. Because some of these attacks are targeting these connections and we have several examples of attackers jumping through networks, attacking one organization where 
whereas the real target organization is two suppliers down the line and they are jumping through their networks, right? So we have several examples of this as well. So I guess this third party slash cloud risks would be the third thing that I hear about the most. Okay. Okay, so ransomware, phishing, and cloud service uh, providers, and all the dangers that come with that uh, is what CEOs and uh, people who come to IMD are talking to you about most at the moment. I think that's a really good place to stop because next episode we'll be talking about the threats to come, right? The threats of the future. So, uh, OIQ, I just want to say thanks again for being here. Thank you very much. This was super fun. Fantastic. And like I said, next weekend we're talking about the future of cybersecurity, what to watch out for, and what's coming down the line. Thanks. You've been listening to the Management Cast from IMD. For more to read, you can go to iBarIMD online, which offers exclusive business intelligence and interviews with the brightest minds in the industry, written by experts for experts.